was gambling in Havana I took a little risk Send lawyers, guns and money Dead, get me out of this Welcome everyone to episode 38 of the Matt Jones podcast here on Wednesday of Derby Week. Everybody's getting all excited about the Derby in in Kentucky. Uh, it's, it's amazing how much the city of Louisville gets into this. I mean, you can't go anywhere without people asking, who's your Derby horse? And uh, we decided might as well bring a horse racing person on. So Ed DeRosa is joining me here. Ed is going to uh, – he's from Twinspires.com, which is a place you can go uh, gamble on the on, on the Kentucky Derby and all the rest of it. And he's actually going to give us a bunch of picks. And I have to tell you, we, we taped this just a minute ago, and it was actually really good. Like, Ed's got the stuff down uh, on the Derby. And if you listen, I think you'll be more suited to make money come Derby and Oaks Day uh, to once you listen to Ed Rosa. And then Oscar Combs. Oscar's actually not been on the podcast. So we're going to have him on, and we're going to talk about the whole criteria and the selection of jersey, retirement, et cetera. Oscar's on the committee that does that. They meet soon to decide who's going into the Hall of Fame, and we'll talk about that. And this year, for the first time, Wall Cousins Patterson, that class is now eligible for the Hall of Fame. So with Oscar on the committee – We'll talk to him about that and, and what that process uh, is going to be like. So it should be very interesting. Before we do that, I want to start by uh, welcome, saying this edition is sponsored by Bonobos, B-O-N-O-B-O-S.com. That's Bonobos.com. Bonobos is a great uh, – it's a great place to go buy men's clothing. If you would like to have men's clothing that looks good, that's a you know affordable price, they're building a store in Lexington. But but I, I was taught – every time I – talk to someone who's been to Bonobos, they say, Matt, you were right about that. That's clothes that look good, that fit. If you have sort of a weird fit, like I have long arms, uh, they can take care of that as well. So Bonobos.com, that's B-O-N-O-B-O-S.com for casual and some formal men's clothing. Make sure to go try out Bonobos.com. So with that, let's go ahead and get uh, Ed DeRosa going here. All right, we are now joined here on the Matt Jones Podcast by uh, Ed DeRosa from TwinSpires.com. Uh, he's here to talk a little bit about the Derby. Let me say at the beginning of this, if you go to TwinSpires.com, you use the promo code KSR10, that's KSR10, you'll get a free $10 bet uh, on the Derby or on whatever you want to use for Oaks and Derby Weekend. So I hope you will do that. KSR10 at TwinSpires.com. Ed, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, and it's 1-0, so you don't have to spell out 10. Yes, 1-0. Yeah. got to make sure to, to say that. Uh, <laughs> we want everyone to get it. That's so exactly right. Plug now, it in you, right. You live in Kentucky, right? I do. Moved down here uh, 14 years ago from Cleveland. And now you're Mr. Horse Racing. Like For- when I need – it's interesting. You are a hit-or-miss horse guy, <laughs> what I've noticed. Like there are times you're rolling, and you follow what Ed DeRosa says – and next thing you know, you're you're getting rich. And then there are times where you you you've lost me money. But overall, I think <laughs> I'm ahead because of you. Do you feel like you can go in horse racing streaks when you're gambling? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Is, is that just random, or do you think there's a reason why? Uh, I definitely think like most uh, skill games, uh, sometimes you're in the zone and you have it down pat, and you just keep rolling. And other times, uh, you know, maybe there's some other stuff going on that maybe you shouldn't have all your attention on racing. So, uh, you know, I have three kids, so maybe that's a reason time to time. But 
for the most part, you stick with your game plan and hope the wins outweigh the losses. Now, for a gambler, here's a couple questions I have to you about horse raids in general. For a gambler, for somebody who feels like they know the ponies, is Derby Day the best day because of all the stupid money? Uh, if it's not the best day, it's easily on the A-list, top five for sure. In part, it is because of the, the dumb money. Uh, you, you never get more than 100,000 people uh, at a horse race other than Derby, Oaks, and Preakness. And really, Oaks and Derby, they're betting a lot more than they do on Preakness. So for that reason, you're absolutely right. The other reason uh, is mathematics. There's 20 horses in the Derby. It's the only race in America that has that many horses. And it's just that many more combinations that even skilled gamblers are covering. Uh, there's plenty of horses. You know, picking a winner is hard enough. Picking a horse to finish third, where more horses, I think, can finish third, you have to beat fewer horses. Uh, to me, it just opens up the betting that much more. So for me, the Derby with all those different combinations and the people who are betting names and numbers and colors where normally they don't adds up to a tr tremendous opportunity. So actually it's not just the Derby, it's the race itself. The race itself, the Derby race is, is a great race for you? Yeah, the, the race, it's, I mean, as good as Derby Day is and Oaks to a smaller extent with all that money, etc., the Derby race itself just gets so much casual money spread out over 20 horses. And again, even the good, I mean, this is your one shot. In the long run, I'd like to think that someone like me or the other people who do this for a living could definitely uh, outperform the public. Mm -hmm. But when you have one race, the mind that birds of the world are going to win, yes. uh, the Giacomos, etc. And it's, I mean, to me, it's what makes the game great. A lot of people complain about results like that, but to me, it's it's why we do it. You want that result. You know, it's funny. I I am probably slightly above average in horse racing gambling, but not like you all. Like, I, I mean, I'm a little better than like probably Joe that just goes, but I'm money on these big races. For some reason, I guess I put a little time into it as well, but I've hit the try in the Derby the last three years. Last year didn't pay much. The two years before though, were, we're big, very were, good. Were, were big payoffs. And it seems to me that a key is looking, I went and looked at history at like the last 20 derbies. And it was something like 17 of the 20 had one of the three horses be 15 or one or more that came in the in the in the try. Is one of the keys kind of finding your long shot and going with them? Yeah, absolutely. Even last year, uh, as much as I loved American Pharaoh and thought he might be a triple crown candidate if, if he won the Derby, I was looking for those horses and they didn't come in. The third choice was second, firing line. Yes. Dortmund was the second choice and finished third. So as you said, yeah, you hit the try, but it wasn't sort it of that big payout. So. I, but, the, but I think I also had the horse that was in fourth, and, it, and that was, I think, a big long shot, and I was pulling for it to get in third. I can't remember which one it was. How do you pick – we'll go through there. How do you pick your long shot? Like if, you, if somebody's sitting at home trying to figure out their long shot, what, what do you look for? I'm looking now. The Derby's a mile and a quarter, which is longer than any of these horses have run. So definitely one of the elements to me is finding a horse that maybe can improve going a mile and a quarter. So it's not as good. People look at the form and say, eh, you know, maybe this isn't that horse's cup of tea. Uh, but then a mile and a quarter, maybe they can improve. So that's a big thing for me is what on Derby Day might be different for this horse to, to get going, whereas normally they wouldn't win. And what, So what am I looking for? If I'm looking, I mean, what, like if when I'm looking at that guide, if I'm listening at home and I'm trying to figure out, what am I looking for to see a horse that maybe the longer distance helps? Well, you know, a lot of people think, oh, oh, here's a deep closer and he's running late. So when it's the Derby, because it's a longer race, they're just going to keep running. And that actually, I don't really buy into that. I okay. think because the, the Derby's longer, but 
there's a lot of dynamics. It's just not, oh, you're going to keep running. To me, I like to look for the horse who made a big move uh, in the middle of the race. So if you're looking at the little numbers that show you what place they were in, uh, if you sort of see that, say, sixth to second in the middle, that's a big move to me. And you think, uh, well, I think to take a long shot, I'm betting that, okay, the jockey learned something that day about what it takes to put this horse in position. Maybe it didn't get there this time, but next time that middle move in the derby can be stretched out because it's a mile and a quarter, and that's the difference. And this is a bad example because he was the favorite, but Orb, to me, was a horse a lot of people thought was a closer. But really, when you looked at his form, he was making his move on the far turn in the middle of the race. And to me, that meant he had a big chance in the derby because he wasn't waiting to the end. He wasn't using himself up in the beginning. He put himself into the race where it mattered most, and that's what I look for. And when I see a long shot has that kind of move, I usually put him on my tickets. All right, so so that's part of it with the long shot. I think it's also important if you want to win at the derby. I mean, obviously, you can bet it to win or plays or whatever. But if you want to, like, get one of these exotic bets, give me the Ed DeRosa <laughs> strategy for hitting exotic bets in these races. To me, you want to be absolutely right about one thing and allow yourself to be wrong about another because when you're wrong, that's when the mind that birds come in. Or, you know, I, I gave him no shot to win, but if I would have structured my bets where that could have been where I was wrong – I would have walked out with a boatload. And the Derby is so difficult to pick exactly that I structure my bets to align myself to be wrong. And often that means using what's called the all button in horse racing where okay. you get every horse in that position. And, you put, and how do you do that? So what I'm going to do this year, and we'll get to individuals, I'm sure, in a little bit, but I'm going to take the four horses I'm most convinced have a big shot at running first or second. Okay. And I'm going to bet them to finish first or second and then take all in the third so position. So you don't necessarily do what I do. You don't look for your long shot. You let the all be your long shot. Is that right? Am I right about that? Uh, this year, yes. Now, there are some years where I really do like a 20, 30, even 40 to 1 horse, and I do want to key what's called key because mm -hmm. that's the key to, to winning. Uh, but this year, and I hate this cliche, and, and I know you probably hear it and with the basketball all the time, too, is, you know, oh, this is one of the most wide-open derbies. <laughs> yes. I feel like we hear that every year. Yeah, we hear it every year. I really don't like to say it, but this is a year where I do feel like beyond the four horses I like the most, I'd have a hard time being surprised by any of the other 16. So for me, in that regard, I do sort of feel like it is wide open, and I'm going to let the all be my long shot. That's a good way of putting it. Okay. So you, another question for you. Are there – I always hear people say, this horse likes this track or something like that. To me, that doesn't seem to make sense. <laughs> it's just dirt, and the horse – how's the horse know where it is? Do you think that matters? Like, the, the favorites that you're all from California, does that matter that, that, that they come from far away from where they are, or does it make any difference? Uh, I mean – Tracks are different, the dirt's different, the crowd's different, but to me, the Derby is such an equalizer because you have 170,000 people. And, and no one's been around that. And that might be what they don't like, and yeah. it's a mile and a quarter. That might be what they don't like. So, yeah, tracks are different, and I 
could make a case for that. The other thing, though, is the s sample size is so small. Yes. You have one race on the track, and you're all, you're ascribing all these attributes to it. <laughs> I mean, if a guy went into a gym and made five or six free throws, you wouldn't say, oh, he loves shooting free throws in that gym. I mean, it's just a small sample size. Anyone could make five or six on their best day except maybe Shaq. So, um to me, yeah, I, I think people way overblow certain statistics. Okay, and that's so with that one said, give me three statistics that you think actually matter. I'm sitting down to figure out, just in general, not just at the Derby, because the, the, the races before, et cetera. Give me the – like for me, I've always found, because I don't know everything, I look at the speed numbers because to me that's like – and I actually look for, and this has worked well for me at times, consistency over the speed numbers. Like, I, sometimes for a long shot, I'll look for one that had an amazing great race and think, well, maybe they'll hit that again. Mm -hmm. But if I'm picking my winner or second place, I look for consistency over the speed numbers. That's me, but you're a pro. What's you? Well, I, w I would say that might be a reason you do well in these big races because absolutely the, the top stat that I use is the best last out speed rating. Horses who are in form continue to run well more often than they don't and sometimes they do tail off or have a bad day but over the long run that the highest number in the last race is absolutely a horse you want to consider Wait a minute, the highest number so you're not talking consistency you're talking peak exactly the okay. highest number in the last race and you know i run stats on this for why i work all the time it when you bet that last out number it if you don't show a profit, you're right there at the break-even point. Even. So you're talking about look at every horse's last race and look for the one with the highest number. That's it. That's very yeah, simple. It is simple. Well, well, and, but so over time, you've done the math. That tends to work. Yes, and, and it's not, um, like I said, it, it doesn't quite get you to, you couldn't just do it every race and make a profit because yeah. if that were the case, then we'd Everybody all be rich. right? But without a doubt, that gets you in the ballpark more than any other singular piece of information. It's interesting you say that. It'd be like in poker, there's this theory of only take the top ten hands and only play those and kind of go all in. And, <laughs> and it's a good way if you know nothing else, it's a good way to have your best chance of winning. Yeah. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, except the, the one thing with racing is, uh, you know, if you go all in and other people go all in on your horse too, then your odds are tremendously lower. I got you. Um, yes. So if everybody did this, it, exactly. wouldn't work, it wouldn't work out. All right, so you're looking at that. What else? Uh, and I would, you know, for just a day at the track, uh, I would definitely say trainer percentage is a very important number. Okay. And I'm hesitant to say that because... It is over bet. People bet trainers uh -huh. uh, same way they would bet Calipari. Uh, they would know wherever he went to coach would probably be a good team right away. But it, it does work. I mean, those horses run better than the others. So Why, why is that? Some of them are just uh, – is it – I used to always say about NASCAR, how much better can these drivers be <laughs> over the others? I would think that once you got to a certain level of training, everyone knows the same stuff, but you think there's a difference. Well, it, you know, these trainers are really CEOs at this level. They're not just there training the horse and riding the horses in the morning. They oversee a massive program with exercise riders, veterinarians, uh, feed programs, supplements, assistant trainers, etc. And some are just better generals than others, and it, it is shows. It the, is it also self-selective that the best trainers end up with the best horses? Yes. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. And you, I mean, you you know, looking back at the 90s, uh, Bob Baffert, he was a he California was guy. Yeah. Uh, then he 
burst on the derby scene in 96 when he finished second and then won the race the next two years and you know since then obviously he's had the best horses in the world but uh winning a race like this gets you noticed and you can go from there but yeah you're absolutely right i mean the, the good ones get the better horses All right, so peaks for you peak speed percentage trainer percentage and give me another one I would say early speed. Uh, American racing, especially on the dirt, favors horses who can run fast from the gate. So if you see a lot of ones in the left-hand column of those past performances, uh, you know maybe they won't hang on, but at least you're going to get a thrill. And they absolutely have a better chance of winning on balance than the horses who have to really? come from the back. Okay, yep. that's interesting because I always – it feels like anecdotally that the horse that leads – never wins right they, they get past in the end but it, over time you say that's not necessarily the case yeah I mean, and, and i for whatever reason our bias is such that we look at those closers and we think wow that was awesome what a race but typically yeah early speed is a very powerful weapon in american racing american pharaoh certainly had that uh, yeah l- last year i think in the in the breeders cup absolutely um all right so let's talk about this race so there you know t- the draw hasn't happened yet so for you folks listening we taped this on a wednesday so we don't know the draw how much does that matter first of all if one of these horses you you pick gets the one hole or the 20 or whatever is there any place they could go that might make you say okay i'm not sure anymore yeah the the one hole is a widow maker okay i i believe the hype on that that you do not want to be in the one hole other than that um so it's, if it's not two gonna... it's okay it's not ideal. I mean, there's you know there's sort of a pyramid, and it, it trickles down from there, but the spike on the one is like an abyss. It just drops off into Hades. So if you took one of these favorites that, you had, that you're going to mention, one of your four horses, if it's the one, do you leave it out? Yes. Just out? Yeah. Okay, interesting. See? Yeah. Okay. No, the, the one, I just uh, – and, and here's part of that. If I loved a long shot and it drew the one, I'd probably be less inclined to be that judgmental just because I'm getting a big price. But the four, I think, are most likely are going to be among the, you know, of the six or seven favorites, or the four are going to be among those. So if they drew the one, I wouldn't want to take the short price. I've always felt like to hit the try, you got to throw out a favorite because you'll because it'll take up too much of your money if you take all the favorites. Right. Because do you agree with that? I do. Absolutely. All right, so who? What favorite? Let's start with. What do we throw out? I'm going to throw out Nyquist. No, wow. Yeah. You're throwing out the favorite favorite. I feel like if you're not going to pick the favorite to win, you shouldn't even use them in the th- top three. Like, really? If your opinion is strong enough, that I, I think it's a hedge. Like, oh, well, I'm going to pick them second. To me, that's, I don't know, that just feels Go cowardly. Either, either pick them to win if it's the favorite or go against them. Okay, so why don't you like this favorite? Because I keep hearing it's a great favorite. And, and he and he is. He's undefeated. He's a champion. He beat the horse who many thought could be the favorite last out in the Florida Derby. But I'm going to be a homer and go with my numbers. I said, you want to look at the best last out speed rating? And he's not even close to it. So if that's a reason. It's 7-2 to two in a 20-horse field. I'm going to go against him. So he's you're not he won't be part of any of your stuff. I, I don't want to say that because, um, and we'll get to a long shot I like, if a couple of the long shots who are 20 or 30 to 1 win and Nyquist finishes second, I'll hit the exacta. But in terms of where most of my money's going, he is off those All right, tickets. Cool. So he is out. Who's your pick to win? Exaggerator. Exaggerator. I'm writing these down yep. so I can make sure that I. Uh, <laughs> exaggerator. Why exaggerator? So he's lost three times to Nyquist. So that's someone would say, okay, you're throwing out Nyquist, but he's 0 for 3 against him. 
But those races were at seven furlongs, a mile and a sixteenth. Totally different ball game to this. Uh, Exaggerator Sire has won a mile and a quarter races, uh, so I like that. And before, you know, we talked about what could change in the Derby, and that distance is one thing that I think benefits Exaggerator. And his last race to me was was breathtaking he made this huge move on the turn and just blew the doors off dancing candy and more spirit two horses who were in this race as well which race uh the santa anita derby yeah so uh his jockey is kent desormo he's won the race three times he knows his way around churchill the derby course anyway and we're going to get six or eight to one whereas nyquist is going to be about three to one so it's a bigger price and a horse i think is improving at the right time and he has that highest last out number do you when you get to this race and there are three-year-olds you mentioned that in the last race does that play more in as a three-year-old are the horses still improving by the time they get to the derby yes so 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 some of your peak thing i would guess maybe applies even more so in the derby where the horses are still reaching their maturity is that right yeah then then three-year-olds are notorious this is a time of year where they improve and we all look for jump up efforts so that that's absolutely right right. so so exaggerate your right so now give me your other two or three horses uh the the next horse on my list is gunrunner Uh, he won the louisiana derby he's trained by steve asmussen who has not won a derby but he is going into the hall of fame this year and the excuse me the interesting thing about gunrunner is he is the only horse the derby has a points qualifying system and races are worth 10 50 or 100 points to the winner gunrunner is the only horse who won a 50 and 100 point race so the consistency is there and the the trip is there. He's not a front runner. He's not a deep closer. He's in the middle of the pack. Uh, I think if he gets a clean trip, he's going to be right there at the end. I don't think he's as good as Exaggerator, which is why I didn't pick him on top. But I do think he has the best. If you said I need a horse to show, I probably would pick him. He's but your show bet. He's my show bet. So for our show pool, which <laughs> are, it never comes in, my show pool, it's never come in, that would be your derby. Show. That would, yeah. Okay, it, who else? Uh, and then I mentioned him uh, losing to Exaggerator last out, but More Spirit is trained by Bob Baffert, who, of course, won the race last year with uh, American Pharaoh. Uh, he's a horse I actually was sort of against earlier in the year. A lot of people were on him, and I was like, I don't know about this horse for the Derby, but really not a lot of horses have stepped up this year. Uh, Nyquist was last year's champion. He's still the favorite. More Spirit is a horse who has shown a, a lot of talent. He really hasn't stepped up either, but with Bob Baffert and Gary Stevens, he's running fast enough to say well if he keeps that up and even improves a little bit Stevens too old he's like he's like 90 yeah my running joke is I'm not worried about the mile and a quarter with more spirit I'm worried with it Gary Stevens to get it because his I mean, his it, knees I think are bionic at this point is for he sure doing like the Michael Waltrip at Daytona thing that he only races like at Derby or is he doing it to other stuff too yeah I, I mean he rode about 30 races at Keeneland I mean he's definitely okay. cutting so way he back yeah so. he's he's more like a, a player manager back in the 80s in baseball when you know you sort like of yeah, yeah you had the old guy around to, to be a leader and he could hit a little bit still but uh yeah what, what, what will his odds be? Uh, he should be about 10 or 12. See, I'm always hesitant to do a Gary Stevens horse because I feel like you don't get the odds you deserve because everybody knows him. Uh, that's definitely a concern. I, and, you, and Baffert, who also everyone knows. So. Is there an odds that you wouldn't take him? Uh, in the wind pool, anything less than 10 to 1 on him would be too low. Okay. Now, I will say this, though. The, the Derby crowd definitely pays, plays to win. They play exactas. One thing the casual people do, though, is they'll box a lot. They'll throw three or four horses in and just box them. 
So that spreads the money around a lot more too, whereas I like to zero in on horses in first and second and move them around in that way. So to me, I feel like I'm not as... Odds uh, dependent. You exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. So those are three of the relative favorites. Who's your Who's your fourth one? All right. The fourth one is probably the the long shot that you lo- would like to key on, and that's Whitmore. Whitmore. Uh, and you talk about a uh, famous jockey getting on. Victor Espinoza yes. is his jockey, so that that's a concern that he'll take Victor money. Uh, but I, again, I think that would mostly be in the wind pool. And this is a horse who I've picked to win his last two starts, and he hasn't gotten the job done for me. Uh, and I just keep getting sucked in by these big prices he's going to be 20 to 1 at absolute minimum even with victor on i don't think he'll be any lower than that i think we might even get 30 to 1 and even though he hasn't won that i've picked him he's he's come with his race and people say well he wants shorter distances not longer i'm not really convinced of that i I just think he hasn't gotten the right trip and set up and yeah other horses have gotten the jump on him but i think in the derby uh if he gets a clean trip he's one of the ones who can be around at the end and you're getting 20 or 30 to 1 to find out Okay, I like that. I try to make my long shot. But see, in the Derby, you get long shots that maybe would have been 12 to 1 up to 30. Right? That's right, which yeah. is why you can really get some some big time price. And the same goes with the favorite. I mean, American Pharaoh in any other race last year would have been six to five, and you got seven to two or three to one, whatever he was in the Derby. So. I mean, it works for favorites, too. In this case, I'm not a big Nyquist fan because I think even 7-2 to two is too short against 20 horses. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there's horses in here who are going to be 30 or 40-1 to one, who on a regular stakes day at Churchill would be 15-1. to one. Okay, so, so you like Exaggerator, Gunrunner, More Spirit, and Whitmore. Is there one, like, crazy off the beaten <laughs> path, mind that bird that you just say, like, just watch for it. It may have probably not going to do it, but just keep it in mind. Uh, to me, that horse would be Trojan Nation, who is a maiden. He hasn't even won a race yet, let alone a, a race anywhere near the Derby caliber. Uh, and, and, you know, people sort of chortle because oh, he's a maiden. He hasn't won yet. But he very narrow, narrowly beat Outwork, who a lot of people are talking about this week, is uh, looking really good, and he's by Todd Pletcher. And actually, I don't know if you saw, but... Uh, I was in Heine Brothers Coffee yesterday when Bill Clinton walked in. Oh, you just happened to be there? I just happened to be there. That was kind of awesome. Did you get to meet him? Uh, well, you know, meet and greet type of thing. So you're just he, sitting there in Heine Brothers Coffee and in walks Bill Clinton? Yeah, and, and I heard all this commotion and I, you know, turned around like, what the heck is going on? And I saw photographers doing the moonwalk. So, you know, they're trying to get the shot and walking backwards into a door. Yeah. And I'm and I then I got kind of excited. I'm like, okay, this must be someone big because yeah. there's all these photographers. And I actually heard him before I saw him, and I recognized the voice. And he was with Allison Grimes, and he, you know, talked to the baristas a little bit, ordered his coffee, and he spit his gum out before he took his coffee. And you I did think, not take his gum. Did I you? did not take his gum, <laughs> but I took advantage of the opportunity because when people saw he was spitting his gum out, and here's a you know former president doing that there was sort of a pause so i said mr president who's your derby pick and he had one so he said trojan nation he said outwork oh he said outwork okay. which is the long way back to trojan nation who lost by a nose to outwork last gotcha. out so to me if you know the former president picks outwork why not like the horse who almost beat him and you get what 40 to one there At minimum i mean he might be 50 or 60 to one Ooh, i like that I, yeah. those are the ones i really like all right so one of the things i've noticed you didn't say matters 
is the thing everybody in Kentucky seems to care about, which is workout times. How did they look that morning and all that? Is that just all bunk? Uh, I don't want to say bunk because it, it does matter. I mean, an unhealthy horse is not going to run well. A horse who looks injured or lame or, you know, anything like that. So for sure, there are some clues you can see. The bottom line, though, is I play the races, you know, four or five times a week, 52 weeks a year. I don't look at workouts any other time. So to me, it's a big change up in my game to all of a sudden care what all these people think about horses. It's easy to get like a collective, like every year there's one horse that everyone tends to gravitate to. Right. Maybe it's outwork. And, in this and outwork, I would say, it, and it's generally either, it all it never comes through, right? It's it's pretty rare. I mean, usually people are looking for a reason to like a horse that they otherwise wouldn't like, and I think that's part of why it doesn't come in is because you're already dealing with horses who a lot of people don't have a big chance. And outwork, I would say, actually fits that bill. I don't think a lot of people thought he would be one of the ones coming into this week, and now all of a sudden a lot of people are talking about him. But, I mean, you know how it is. All of a sudden everyone's an expert when the tournament comes around. Exactly. And where were you in December? Exactly. And that's how racing is. I mean, there's definitely a handful of guys and gals who do this every day, and I respect their opinion. But Derby, without a doubt, brings him out of the woodwork. Now, here's what I've learned about Ed over the years. Sometimes he so wants to get his prices right that he won't even tell, like, me and Drew what he's betting until about two minutes before because he doesn't want to. So that I is a, true. I have a feeling you're not going to give me the bets for people to make, or will I be able to talk you into that? I think you can talk me into it. Okay, so what is, if you were doing the Ed DeRosa special, because I'm going to give mine on Friday, what's yours? All right, mine is those four horses I gave in first. Exaggerator, Gunrunner, More Spirit, and Whitmore. That's right. And then those same four in second. Okay. And then all in third. So that's your try. That's my try. Those four and then all in third. And it's it's 108 bucks. So it's not bucks, for the okay. faint at heart. But well, that's that's about what I spend on the race. Actually, I'll, 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 I budget 150 for it. Okay. So, if, so if, if all right, so you do that, then let's say I have 150 bucks. You got 108. Give me 42 dollars. Doing what? Uh, the next 42, I would probably take those same four uh, on top, and then all in second in an exacta. In an exact, yeah, okay. and that that's seventy six. So maybe okay. we can but find can someone to split it with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're so you like those. So you're very confident that your winner comes from Exaggerator, Gunrunner, More Spirit, Whitmore. That's right. Yep. All right. And and like I said, uh, there are some horses I'm not going to be shocked if they win. Nyquist being one of them, but it, it comes down to price for me, and I think those. Four horses are likely winners and actually offer a decent price. And the the four favorites are considered to be Exaggerator, Gunrunner, Nyquist, and uh, I would say Outwork now after after all the buzz. But we this think week. that's hype. That it's hype. I okay. do. Yeah. Because I usually do my my system, which granted is done only sort of anecdotally, because I do it at the Breeders' Cup and then I do it at the Derby, but it's more successful at the Derby, is I take the top four, throw one out. Now maybe I'm throwing two out if I don't like <laughs> outwork, but I'll throw one out. Then I take a 12 to 1 to 20 to 1. You're telling me with more or more spirit there. Yep. And then I take a crazy one, and I do just combinations with those five and then see what happens. I like it. 
Yeah. You like that? Well, and another horse we didn't talk about trained by Dale Romans is Brody's Cause, who won the race at Keeneland. Uh, early, it's it's very rare that the Keeneland winner does anything at the Derby. It's been it? a while. Yeah. Now, part of that was they had the different surface they for did, a while. They yeah. did, um, yeah. Back in 07, Street Sense finished, I think, third in the Bluegrass and then ended up winning the Derby. So it, it's been back to there. And then the last winner uh, was even further back. All right, well, good deal. Any, uh, any like, on Derby Day or Oaks Day, any special Ed DeRosa lock of the day? I'm not going to say lock of the day because he's going to be, like, six or eight to one. So it's – but the horse I am most excited about betting on Derby Day is Surgical Strike in the American Turf. Do we know what race that is? We do not know what race that is. Surgical so Strike. I'll make sure the, to send it to you, and you can follow up on Friday. But In the American Turf. Turf. But without a doubt, the horse I am most excited about betting this week is surgical. And I, and I, I tweeted out that if he won, I might have to leave the track so I don't give back all the money I'm going to win. Oh wow! Look <laughs> on at the Derby, this Ed DeRosa special. <laughs> well, listen, I think the listeners have to go with Surgical Strike since you. We will make that a collective fun, that, uh, fun bet. Yeah. Ed, thank you very much, sir. Again, that's Twinspires.com. You get $10 bet. Yeah, they can put it on Surgical Strike. It's right. There you go. KSR10. Put that in the promo code. We've been doing this for years. You guys sign up in, in, in large amounts. So, twinspires.com, KSR10. Ed, thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure being here. All right. Now, we are joined here on the phone by the guru of the, I'd say, the, the sort of father figure of UK athletics, former creator of the Cat's Paws and now on the UK Basketball and Football Network with JMI, Oscar Combs. Oscar, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing great. Uh, it's been uh, been been an exciting few days around here as we try to get ready for the Derby and more. You're not really a Derby guy, are you? You're, you're, you that's never been your thing, has it? I've never been to a Derby. I went to the Oaks once when I was about 22, 23, but I'm not. But I, where I live... Every street in my subdivision is named after a Derby winner. Is that right? Well, why, yeah. how come you've never gotten into horse racing? You know, I just never did. It's just never something that, you know, I'm sort of old school. I think of a horse as a mule who plows the ground in the spring to where I can go out and plant my corn and tomatoes. All right. Well, I'm going to remind you. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to remind you, make sure you talk in the phone for me, all right? Because if you don't, my volume goes away and people won't, be, people won't be able to hear you. All right. I wanted to start with, before we get going on some UK athletic stuff, Ed Davender. You know, Ed uh, passed away uh, last week and was, I argue, one of the most underrated players to ever play at Kentucky, what what were your thoughts on on Ed Davender? You kind of you were following UK and were covering it during his prime. Well, Ed was a Ed was a really really good player. Uh, I think that that was sort of the beginning of the era that you started keeping stats that you didn't keep before. Then you didn't always have steals around and assists were a little bit differently turning, but his numbers are way up there in, in both of those. And he was a very solid player. His probably misfortune was, was two things is that he was always around some other great players and he didn't get the ball. didn't get the shots maybe as often as he would have with different teams. I mean, he teamed up with Rex Chapman and that's good, but that's all, that's a blessing in one respect, but then you know, who's going to get the shots. But and the attention. You know he's going to get the shots and the attention, right? 
Yes, and and of course in the, in the '86 season uh, that he was here, I think that was one of the best teams that never won the title. I think if they got uh, if they gotten into the Final Four, that was the year they had to play LSU t- four times and Alabama four times, and didn't make that last one against LSU, and they got in the Final Four year that Louisville won it, by the way, and I think they could have won it that year, but. You know, they he never did get to the Final Four, and I think that hurt his legacy a little bit, although it shouldn't have. Yeah, I, I agree with that. He also uh, – it's interesting you said about stats before they – I mean, he was kind of one of the first real guys who seemed to focus on steals. You know, that became something uh, that, that – uh, there was a time I think he was the leader uh, in history, but part of that was like when you started started covering it. Do you think – you look at his numbers, and he looks like the kind of guy – who maybe should be in the rafters? Do you think that or no? Well, that, that's difficult to say. I mean, you know, you you start looking at all American status, and you start looking at achievements from one end to the other. And again, that comes back to you know they they didn't make the final four. His stats are are pretty solid in some respects, particularly in steals things. Like, of course, you know they didn't steal the basketball before about nineteen seventy. I mean, you just waited to the other team's shot. You know, it's, uh, interesting, it's interesting you but, say that on, on that point. I, when they showed the 66 game on TV, Oscar, I, I was I had never really just watched a game from that era, and I watched it, and I was amazed at sort of how there wasn't really pressure defense. Is that just kind of how it was? Well, I, I think now you're starting to address the arrival of the African-American player in college basketball, I mean, you know, in the 40s and the 50s and and to a certain extent, quite a bit of the 60s, at least in the South, you didn't have that African-American quickness out there. So, you know, that I think that was a, the, the, the evolution of the game with a rival. And by the 70s, you know, African-Americans were really solid the game. But even compare the 80s and the 90s with today, I mean, you look out of the typical power five, conference, I mean, white players you see on the on the floor at the same time. And, I mean, there's just no question about quickness when it gets to that part of the game. Well, so I think the steals and all that is coming here in the last 30 years. Do you uh, – well, back, back to Davner for a second. When he, when he finished, you know, uh, didn't really have a, a pro career, do, when you sort of will look back on his place in Kentucky basketball legacy, what is it? Well, I, I just remember him being a, a very good player, heady player, certainly way above average. But when you start talking about uh, all-American status and you talk about uh, hanging the, uh, the the banner, you know, I think we all get caught up too much in the present, and certainly he's not the present now. You stand the test of time. You know, do you say the same thing today about Tyler Eulis? Are you going to be saying the same thing about him 10 years from now? And a lot of that will have to do with what he does this time forward. And unfortunately for for Eddie, who had some heart problems at the time, he never did get to uh, improve that in the pros because he didn't get there to play. And so when you start talking about, again, raising jerseys, uh, you need to think about it five to ten years later. And I'm on the committee that that votes those things in. And there's a five-year wait period, as you well know, and then there's another five year on to actually putting the putting uh, putting the jersey up, 
And and I think that's good because I think, you know, we're in the microwave age, as we know about. Well, we're not microwave about Ed Davender, Oscar. He's been over 30 years since he played. I mean, I, that, that is that is that is correct, and I don't think his stats really live up to that level. Yeah, okay. To be honest. Well, what about Tyler? You mentioned Tyler. Where does he rank for you? I mean, it, it, you know, you look at his seasons, I think it's one of it, – he had one of the best point guard seasons in UK history, in my opinion. Where does he rank for you? When you think of Tyler Ulis amongst the great Kentucky point guards, where does he come on Oscar's list? Well, I, uh, again, uh, if you're, you're asking me this at the end of one of the most exciting years a part of point guards ever had, I'd say very, very strong. Again, I think you sit back after a few years and you – rehash it, I, and I'm not saying it's going to be any different than what it is today, but I, he enjoyed one advantage that most people didn't enjoy, and there wasn't the anticipation of him being this great this year. There was a, certainly an anticipation he's going to be exciting, but because he didn't play any more than what he did last year, and he played a lot, but when I say last year, I mean year before last with the Harrison Twins, but I don't think anybody expected him to have the kind of year he had. I think everybody expected him to have a good year, maybe even a great year, but not to the level he had. Uh, he's going to be just on one year, Matt. And, you know, as we go five years from now or ten years from now, it's hard for me to say, but when you start hanging rafters, uh, jerseys from rafters, when you start putting these guys in the Hall of Fame, which he has to go to first, now you're going up against a competition level. Uh, the year that he becomes eligible, uh, will they still be looking to determine where they put, uh, say, Eric Bledsoe in or not? Or um, well, let me ask you about that. About, uh, let, let's, you know, you're you're on that committee, and that's a constant conversation I hear folks having. And we're still years away from any of the one and done era people being in. Oh, well, actually, actually, this year, this year for the Hall of Fame, putting in a Hall of Fame for the Hall of Fame, and, yeah. And you got to be in the Hall first before you can go. Yeah. Into the so other. let me ask there you: has do, to be five years apart. Do you believe that one and done? I assume you believe one and done guys, in theory, can go in the Hall of Fame and, and have their rafters. How do you compare them with four year guys? Like when you're making that choice yeah. in your head, how you doing that? Well, that's a good question because this is the first year we have to do a one and done as such. And uh, there are, I think, 14 of us on this committee. And there are uh, only two media people. And uh, most of them are university employees. Some are ex-athletes. Kitty Walker is on it. Um, some of them are, uh, are coaches. Some are just administrators. So it's not any one individual gets to make this decision. And we sort of have an unwritten code that uh, no more than two from any one sport can go in at the same time. We have a maximum of six per year. You've got all these restraints on it. It's, it'd be a lot easier if we were just doing a basketball Hall of Fame in Kentucky and put them in where we could put in one or five or six, however many we deem worthy. So those are constraints we have that makes it very, very difficult when you talk about one and none. And this year, if, if my math is right, uh, we have DeMarcus and John Wall and the rest of those 10 guys that were that left at 10. Uh, Elsewhere, and I think, well, I guess that include Patrick Patterson too. Wouldn't yeah. So, in your mind, long term, maybe not this year. I, I don't want to get bogged down in the process of this year. Just in Oscar's mind, do John Wall 
DeMar- well, let's just take those guys. John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Patrick Patterson. I, I don't think you can make a case for Bledsoe based on UK. But Wall, Cousins, Patterson, do you think those are Hall of Famers? And then if they are, are any of them Jersey rafters? Hmm. It's going to be a lot harder just by one and done in the, in the rafters than it is in the Hall of Fame. And it's going to be difficult to put them in the Hall of Fame. You're going to have to consider a little bit, to some extent, what they do after they leave. And to a certain extent, you're going to have to consider a little bit what they did before they got here. I mean, were they a high school All-American? So, so does the Hall of Fame consider that? It's not just what happens at Kentucky? Yes. It, it is supposed to be the main emphasis is supposed to be on what you've done at Kentucky. But you can't – it's sort of like you don't make it a negative, but you can get extra points. Gotcha, gotcha. If you did something as, after you left here. I mean, it could be let, – let, let's give a hypothetical situation. Let's say that uh, Brandon Knight had the year he had. Let's say he has a, a nice, solid pro career of, say, 10 years, and let's say he's in two All-Star games. But that's it. And he gets elected president. He's in. All right, so let's but let's go through here. I'm making you take a stand here, Oscar. At least now, granted, you can change your vote over time. I'm just it's just good for discussion. Hall of let's just do Hall of Fame. John Wall in or out? Well, you can't say that because again, we're limited (laughs) to two per year. Okay, but I I want you. You're missing my point, Oscar. You're getting you're you're getting bogged down in specifics. I I mean, just uh, if it's up to you, if it's up to Oscar. Not just this year. Let's look. At some point, would you think John Wall should be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I can't say that right now, Matt, because, again, I've got 13 people on my list that's been gone at least eight years that I would put in over any of the wanting duns, and I'm not going to tell you who those 13 are as of today. Why not? As of today. Well, because I don't want to get down in naming people that I'm going to have to vote for against in a meeting coming up here in the next month. Is it in the next month? I just okay. don't want to name us. So you well, have 13 people you you have 13 people you'd put in over John Wall. Yes, as of today. Yes. Okay, and why is that? Did John Wall make a final four? Did John Wall make a final four? Well, did those? Did everybody in your 13 make a final four? Uh, all but four of them did, and four of those had remarkable three-year careers when freshmen were not allowed to play. See, here's my thing about the about at least the rafters. I'm not as familiar with who's in the Hall of Fame, I'll be honest with you, but it's for the rafters. There's a lot of people up there, Oscar, from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and, and the longer it goes, the significantly fewer people. I feel like the standard that was used to retire jerseys in the 40s and 50s is not the same standard we're using in the 80s and 90s. In 2000s... Let me just say this, Matt. It was tougher. It was tougher. How's it tough? To get in the rafters in the 40s. See, this is where you... This this is where you you weren't around then. You didn't see what these guys did for three years or four years. And and the game was different. The rules were different. And you didn't have no three point shot. You didn't have any shot clock. But Oscar, you, there's like we're automatically thir- going to get. I mean, there's like thirteen people in in the fifties and in the nineties when Kentucky was in a glory run. We only have two. Well, wait a minute. Now. Wait a minute. In the in the fifties, look at the record and how many titles they won and what were some. They won two titles and they were very good. But thirteen to two. 
There's two titles in the 90s. Right now, the only two people with their jersey retired in the 90s that are, that are about not – I mean, there was the special thing with the guys, with the, with the unforgettables. But in terms of just playing – Yeah, I don't, I don't count that. That's, yeah, I don't count me, that either. Yeah, so, that but, is, so it's basically Mashburn and Delk, and that's it. That's it. Well, again now, you go back and look at what those guys did. Pulled out their stats, read the books. Now – I'm not going to sit here and tell you there's not a couple three in there that I probably would not have put in. I'm not going to say that. But what I'm saying, it's easy to overlook the past if you weren't around or if you hadn't studied those people. I, I have it looked, really is. I actually have looked it up because I was so when I when I talked about this one day on the pregame show, I went and looked it up. And I, I this is not to degrade these guys. And I think it's very important to say what you said, which was it was a different style of play. There weren't as many points necessarily in some circumstances. There are guys up in the rafters, Oscar, who averaged 12 points a game and who were the third leading scorer on their team, never made All-American, and were only like All-SEC. If those guys are up there, then you got to put Antoine Walker up there, and you got to put Ron Mercer up there. I mean, there it just doesn't make sense. Well, we'll agree to disagree on that on that general statement there. Uh, go down one by one with some of them, and again, I mean, you're 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 saying yourself the number of shots they got up in the nineties was totally different back then. You start going on numbers, that's where we always get in debates. Over time, but back then in the fifties, in the fifties, Oscar, how many teams really cared about college basketball? As opposed, well, now, now, but 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 see, that now you're trying to compare eras. Well, you are really, too, though. I mean, you know, <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I, no, my 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 first thing that was, we can't compare those eras, and then you start comparing and say, well, if those guys belong there, these guys, you're comparing when you do that. Well, you, you have to compare. These if guys we're, belong in because yeah, of that. but we have to if we're going to know what if we're going to know what the standard is to have a jersey. Well, the thing is, the thing is, the standard today with our committee that's been given to us is very specific. The standard back then was the coach. I, I told I, so. So I, now, th- that makes now, perfect we, sense. We yes. can't. We can't go back. We can't go back and change what they did. We could, I guess. If, Mitch Barnard decided he wanted to. We that go probably wouldn't hey, go. That probably wouldn't go over well. We're going to wipe the slate clean and start over redoing it and going by this thing. It's sort of like, well, you know, uh, do you take somebody out of the Hall of Fame? No, you can't you do that. Somebody? You can't do that. I, I agree with you. I mean, and, and you're right. That's a really important point. Actually, go through the history of that. Who decided who had their jerseys retired before this system, and when did this system start? Well, uh, the uh, the Hall of Fame, I think, was 2005, if I'm correct. Okay. This is one of the first things Mitch did when he got here. Like, you know, we should have a system to doing this. And different sports were different ways. Rupp did, uh, Rupp did baseball. I've been told by a couple of other coaches, a tennis coach, for example, one, and uh, Keith Madden, too, they didn't even have a system. They didn't even retire jerseys. <laughs> really? You know. So, so back then, you know, in the fifties and sixties, it was basically football and basketball. And and I I know from all my research that it was a Rupp deal. I mean, here was one of the things that that Rupp did. Uh, Rupp Rupp's deal all along was you didn't get a letter unless you played in one fourth uh, uh, of all halves in a season. Everybody gets a letter today. 
everybody. But back then, if you didn't play X number of highs in season, and seldom did he go more than seven deep. I just I mean, think they were players here. I think it's going to be now, fascinating. Now what happened? Go ahead. What happened is we went through a period of years there in the in the eighties and nineties, and the reason why some of the guys in the nineties didn't go up there, they weren't they weren't retired anybody's jersey. I mean, CM did the deal there in ninety two, and then it was sort of forgotten there for for several years. And then when Mitch decided to do it, Mitch like, well, we want a systematic way to do this. We don't just want a hodgepodge come out here and do it. And, uh, you know, uh, at, at the at the get-go, uh, it was Scott Strickland at it. And in 2006 or seven, uh, I'll tell you a little quick story. I think I've told you this before, but not for our listeners out there, is uh, in 2007, Kentucky gained six new All-Americans that they had never honored before. And what it was, Rupp, had a deal, if you did not finish first or second team All-American on a five-man team that is recognized, like AP, UPI, whatever, you weren't considered All-American. So in the old days, the Hamlet Foundation was one of the, the biggest ones around in the 40s and 50s. They had two 10-man teams. So every school in the country, you made first, second team, you were All-American. If you made a second team on the Hamlet Foundation and made no other All-American team, Rupp said, you're not All-American. You didn't make a first or second five-man team. So Mike Pratt was one. Bobby Watson's another. Even as late as uh, Scott Padgett made the wooden All-American team. None of these guys were honored in the media guide until in around 2006 or seven, or five yeah. or six, is the SIDs around the country, their convention, were getting upset because their coaches saying, this kid's supposed to be an All-American. They were wanting to put it in the guide because he made some little mom-and-pop uh, All-American team to use it for recruiting purposes. And you can understand how coaches would want that. So these SIDs were getting together saying, hey, we're getting a lot of pressure. I get the coach mad at me because I won't put this in there. So they went to the NCAA. said, NCAA, we would like for you to make a legitimate list of all the All-American teams since the get-go. You send it to us, and I can tell my coach, this is a list that the NCAA recognizes. I can do nothing about it. Yeah. So then, then the NCAA, so the NCAA instructed each school's SID to send them a list of all the All-Americans they were currently recognizing. Then the NCAA took a list of all the legitimate All-American teams by era, by decade, for example. <laughs> this process, the this process is hurting my head, Oscar. That's is it really like this complicated that that's what they do on this stuff? No, no. Let, let's, let me explain this now. I mean, it's worth it. We're on a podcast here. You can go over if you need. But, but <laughs> what, it, what, it, what it happened was in the forties and the fifties, one of the best, at least the second or third best All American team was the Saturday Evening Post. Now, you've probably never heard of the Saturday I've Evening I've heard Post. of the Saturday Evening Norman Rockwell. All right. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. Which was the largest circulating magazine in the country during that era. So they had two 10-man teams. So anyway, Billy Ray Lickard, by the way, was another one. Billy Ray Lickard in uh, 1960, 60, I think, 60 or 61, he made the second team of the Helms Foundation. And so when they sent all these in, they sent the list back to each school, and Scott Strickland called me up and said, hey, Oscar, I've got a problem here. Help me out. We've got six new All-Americans. And I said, what do you mean? 
He said, well, we sent the list in and we found out that we weren't recognizing six that would have been recognized by any other school as third team All-American. So they added these. Now, the crux of this is Kentucky lost All-American. There's a guy by the name of Dave Lawrence who suddenly started popping up in the UK media guide in 1992. And he wasn't an All-American. Well, a former SID who has now passed away just very slightly slid him into the list in 1992 media guide and shouldn't have been there. But anyway, and they took him out, and I asked him, I said, are you going to honor these six uh, All-Americans that's never been recognized for? And I was told at the time by Scott, and they said, well, you know, we've got all these people mad on us. Some of this guy's family is probably going to get very upset, and we don't need any more criticism. This was back during the days when they were talking about Ditch and Mitch and the Oregon boys and all that. So they didn't. They put them in the media guide. They're in there today, but they never did publicly recognize them. So what I'm trying to explain to you here is, as time goes along, you have all these little things to pop up that you sort of got to iron out. But at the end and, of the day, your eyes tell you sometimes who's good. If we have a system where John Wall, Anthony Davis, you know, Brandon Knight. Uh, Carl Towns, well, maybe not Carl, because Carl's time at UK was different. I just think if you're asking who are the best players, that jersey list should be who are the best players to play here. And we're in an era of unprecedented talent. I feel like you got to represent those up there. The 50s were an amazing, the 50s were an amazing time at Kentucky, but we're in a pretty amazing time now, too. Yes, you are. But again, you know, I I, I just, I, first of all, let, let me let me sort of put myself in your place in this respect. I can go, I can remember seeing Cliff Hagen and Frank Ramsey play in the NBA. I was ten years old when they left Kentucky, and I can't remember watching them play at Kentucky. But when I was thirteen, fourteen, they were the pros I could watch them play. They're guys in the forties. I have no idea how good they were, but I trust the people. That recognize me, and, I, and I'm not going to put those guys down and say. I mean, we can talk all over too about cousins, all right? But let me just say this: you don't hear hardly anybody talk about the fabulous five. You don't even hear them mentioned in the same breath. You look and see what they accomplished. None of these guys has accomplished anything near what they accomplished. I understand, and you're putting me in a position of having to say something I don't want to say. But when you say none of these guys have accomplished what they accomplished, Oscar, they weren't playing against black players. It was a different era. It's not the same thing. I can't respond to that, Matt. I'm sorry. I mean, you understand. I'm not trying to say that to be bad to them. I'm just saying, like, I just feel like. Yes, I mean, but, well, I I just said I'm I'm sorry. I can't. I can't, I can't compete with you on that one. Yeah, I'm just saying we are really good at this school about honoring the past. I think we're the best in the country at honoring the past. We History <laughs> history matters more at Kentucky maybe than anywhere else, and I'm glad about that. But I think sometimes when I look at the rafters and I see the 80s, 90s, even the 70s to some extent, just a couple of people, and I see – 30 from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, it makes me think we just hold people to a higher standard now than we used to, which is fine as long as – I think you make a good point, though. You can't go back and take them down, right? You just can't. So you just kind of do what, do what we can. Well, uh, uh, again, how many – you know, I, I, I've learned this over the years, man. I, I say it's in all due respect because 
one time I was your age, one time I was a lot younger than you, and I can remember looking up at people holding them and saying, you all just don't understand. <laughs> and I didn't, you know. And I just like right now, you don't understand, but then, you know, I don't understand you either. Uh, and you probably don't understand me, so that's just a product of times. But I love it's you. But you know I. But you know I love wrong. you. I, I, you're one of my favorite well, people on earth. Too, but but what I'm saying is, I hate to, I'm I'm 72. Okay. Yes. Now, when my dad was 72, and I was basically 46 or 47, and that's a little bit older than what you are right now. We both had some points, and we both didn't recognize the other point. No, I understand that, and that, and, that's, and that's just a product product of time. But what I'm saying is, you got to go back and research. How much how much do you know about Cliff Barker? Just the name and the stats, basically. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see him play, and there aren't films of them. Listen, I don't want you to get out of this. I don't want you to get out of no, this. No, that no, I don't no. respect this, this, the history. This, I do. This, this is this is important for me. To help you, okay, or for me to help myself, thinking I'm helping you. I don't know. If that you are helping sense. me. You've always helped me. But, but let me just say, you owe it not to yourself, but you owe it to your following. You owe it to the people you come in contact with. Go home some night this week and promise me you will spend two hours on Google reading everything you can about Cliff Barker, and I'm not going to tell you any more. And if you do that sometime, it don't have to be this week, whatever. Don't wait a year. Don't wait six months. I'll forget. You're right. And you, and, and you will come back and say, you know, I had no idea. And this is not anything to blame on you. I mean, you could say the same thing about me by somebody that played in the 20s or 30s that had this unique situation. I will and then do you're that. you're going to see a different appreciation. I will do that for you. I don't want, and, and, and I will do that. I don't want you to take from this, and I don't want listeners to take from this, that I don't respect the past. I just think sometimes, well, the, in the same the way, is, none, the, of, none of us, none of us can respect what we don't know, and that's see, that's 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 minus. There's no indictment there. In other words, I don't know what went on in Middlesbrough when you were growing up. <laughs> I understand that's nothing on me. What my point about and, that, Oscar, is I think sometimes you're right. Younger people like myself and people younger dismiss too quickly the past. I totally agree with that, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody. I do, however, think that the opposite is true. Some, sometimes older folks who were my age then and thus have an affinity for that because that was when they cared the most dismiss the present. And that, that well, I, the, I, the I, truth I is probably somewhere in the middle. Respect. I think that's true in some respect. But what I'm saying, see, you're not going to get me to say these guys don't deserve to be in there. I just want to wait a little bit more time to digest it, to make sure what I think today. You ever meet a pretty girl and then two months later find out why she wasn't so pretty after all? All the time. All right. Same thing here. <laughs> I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm not trying to throw anything negative on these players or shortchange them, but I want to make sure – I'll use this as an example. I pick some people off and want them. The unforgettables. Yes. As great as they were. I'll guarantee you, had they not made that decision that day. It would have never happened. If they had waited, if they, if they had waited five years to do it, it would have never happened. That's a fair point. I, I totally agree with you on now, that. Now, that's, that's, that's about the same point with these current players. And now you've got a whole new generation of guys. 
you know, we wouldn't be having this discussion if these guys had stayed to their junior or senior year because it'd be a given. They're either in or they're not, you know. Yeah. We're judging guys on nine months in a lot of respects. But that's how we have that's to do it. Time. That's how we have to do it, yeah, though, but, or we but, won't but have a Hall of Fame. That's true. But at the same time, that's the more reason to hold that discussion until they're gone. It, it's hard to have a discussion on that first team. That team, that's five years. Okay, and if you remember, this whole conversation started with, would you yeah. put John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, not, or Patrick Patterson I'm in? Not, I'm, I'm not going to put those four. I'm not going to put those four in this year as the two that would go in. They would not get my vote this year. That's not to say they won't get it next year or the year after, you know. Uh, but I, I got those 13 that I got to look at because every year it goes by. You know how it is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Each year goes by, it just keeps slipping a little no, bit. No, that's a really a good point. The, the longer, if you don't. Now, let me, let, me, let me point out one more thing to you on the jersey thing that you may or may not know. There is a committee that does that. I'm, I think the number is eight, but I'm not positive, and I'm not going to go get in because I don't know who's even on it. But on that committee, you're allowed to vote for however many that's on the ballot. But they have to get seven of the eight votes or their jersey don't hang up there. And I think that's a very, very, very good criteria. Hanging a jersey, forget the ones that are up there. That should be the special of the special. Just because you're a two-time All-American, that jersey shouldn't hang there. I don't know how to justify the others, but we can't continue to do it the way they've done in the past, unless you're just going to put up a jersey for everybody. Well, now, see, you and I just totally agreed on that then. I mean, we're, if we, we, we kind of come full circle, because my only point was that I kind of wish that it was a unique... I wish there was a way that you that there was something where a kid could be 10 years old, and look up and say, those are the X best players that ever played here. And and, and, unfortunate, and, the, unfortunate and we can't do that right that, now. Man. Yeah. Well, and the unfortunate thing with that, with what Cal is bringing in here, that, that's going to be almost impossible because, he, you know, he, he's getting arguably five of the top, at least top 40 every year. Yeah. I'll and fi- none of them are going to be here long enough you know, to, to, for the cream. I mean, it's almost like you're going to be putting three up every year. Then if you put three up every year in 10 years, now you've got 30 yeah. in 10 years. And now is that the special of the special? Well, that's the question. It's a great – that, that, that'll that be an issue for the next generation of people to decide. I will say this. I want to finish with this because you – with all this sort of old versus new conversation, one way that you cross that line, you and I disagree about who the greatest player to play here is. I argue Issel, but you argue Anthony Davis. Give the case for Anthony. Well, I give the case for Anthony based on his one year and one year only and the fact that what Dan was great. Now, if, if you, if you want to make more of a case for Dan – uh, and I don't want to make my friends say because he had two, three really great teammates, uh, particularly the junior year before Casey got hurt. Yeah. And then you had Mike Pratt and you had a couple of other guys there. But look who Anthony had with him. And on a bad on an Anthony Davis bad night, they were still going to win the 20 because of the other guys he had out there. Uh, but, but I think what Anthony did was basically what that 48 – Olympic team did. They won everything. Yeah. Everything inside. 
player of the year, defensive player of the year, uh, gold medal, number national championship, MVP, final Olympic. four MVP. Number, yeah, you won everything. Yeah, and the 48 team was one half of the Olympic team that won the gold. Yep. Which when is- it was a lot tougher to win the gold then than it is today, in my opinion, because you've got African-Americans playing for the United States now, and they didn't then. Or at least they had some, but it wasn't as dominant as it is today. But basketball is more of a global game now than it was then. Uh, no, I, I, I think I think the I think the uh, the Olympians were closer to our level of basketball in the forties than they are in today. Hmm. Well, they, they didn't have they didn't they didn't have uh, uh, we we it, it, again it's a different era because of the rules and everything. And of course, the Olympics are always different because of the different rules and the and of the game there, taking the ball off the rim and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, before, before I let you go, I need to get you a couple non uh, couple non uh, basketball history things. Are, are are you? What was your take? I haven't heard you talk about the Matthew Mitchell situation. I I, I don't know that much about it. There are there are things with this that obviously it's disturbing as how the season went and the ups and downs and, and all of that type thing. But, you know, they're, they're in college athletics like they're in life. They're, they're unspeakable things you don't talk about. You just don't do it. Now, I, you know what I'm talking about as well as I do. I don't know how big of a factor those type things were, are involved in it. But obviously, uh, as much money as they're putting in it. And I like Matthew's a great guy, good friend of mine. I think he does a really good job overall. But now they're at the level where they ought to be knocking the door down and getting in the Final Four. Kentucky's put up a lot of money to host these tournaments. It's coming out of their budget. Um, what happened up there off the court? If it was just players, you could say, well, it's this. Or if it were just coaches, you could say, well, but with all that mixed together, you know, Hey, Mitch, that's what you're earning 800000 for. Well, there you go. Oscar Combs. Great to – where are you right now? You in Kentucky or you in Florida? I'm, I'm, I'm uh, in Kentucky. All right. Well, good talking with I you. I don't go to Florida in the summertime. It's too hot, right? Yeah. Yeah, I miss you in the summer. I never get to see you, so I'm glad to get to chat with yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm right here. Yeah, but you've never – we've talked about this. You've never invited me to your house. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think of a special moment right now. Well, when you think of one, you let me know, okay? I will give you a holler. All right. Thank you, Oscar. Send lawyers, guns, and money.